If that didn't encourage you, what will? Amen? God is so great. God is so good. Today is Mother's Day, and let me say to all the mothers, Happy Mother's Day. Let me say to all the ladies, Happy Mother's Day. I pray today that God will use this message that He's given me on this day, the assignment to preach. Uh, as I thought about it, it's not what we would necessarily call a Mother's Day sermon, but the more I thought about it, I think it is a powerful Mother's Day sermon because it deals with the future things. It deals with what we, not only as mothers, but as fathers, ought to be doing and sharing with our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. And I know that sometimes, and I thought about just asking this, maybe do a survey on it, but I'm not sure that you can always trust a survey, but I, I think about preaching and, and the way God has led me over these many years to preach. I, I'm convinced that being called to account is so much a part of serving Jesus. Because he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you know, as a parent, our kids didn't always keep our commandments. And I'm sure as a child, I didn't always keep my parents' commandments. But you know what? I was always reminded of what was expected of me as a Christian, as a son, as a responsible person. And I'm so thankful that I had parents who would call me to account if I wasn't living my life where I ought to live it. And I'm so thankful that I can get on line now and I can go to YouTube or somewhere and listen to some of the great preachers that I would love to just go and sit down in a conference where they're preaching and listen to them. But there's two things I don't have. One is the time and two is the money to always get there. But I can go online and I can put a sermon on and I can let God speak to me and challenge me and cause me to grow. And I can honestly say, as this song did, the longer I love, the longer I live, the more gracious, the more exciting it becomes to be a part of God's forever family. The more I want to serve Him, I want to do what He's called me to do. I want to be the man of God that He would have me to be. And the reason that sometimes some of you think that I'm really hard and, and I just bear down is, oh, that preacher just loves that. No, what the preacher wants, I believe is what God wants, and that's to see His people totally surrendered to Him, living the way He wants us to live, just like we as parents did. Many of you know I was raised in a coach's home, and therefore a lot of my thinking is around athletics. But I know one thing that I learned from my dad in coaching, that there is a way to do things that is right, and if you will follow the coach's instructions and you'll learn how to do it, you'll be successful most of the time. And that's what I hope that we'll learn from this. I can remember playing basketball for him. Now, some of you are old enough to remember when we had the outline, the black line, and we had a red line, the three-foot line, that you couldn't get in there to guard someone throwing the ball in. Now they can get all over them, right? But back then you did that. We'd practice, and we'd practice. And when that practice was over, Dad would put half the team on the black line and half the team on the red line, and then he would blow his whistle, and you ran as hard as you could till you heard it again, and then you'd turn around and run the other way for minutes. And I've seen guys just almost out of it 
And he'd say, boys, let me tell you something. If you'll do what I tell you, we'll beat that team in the second half and we'll beat them well. Well, Dad won about 80% or more of his basketball games. And I look back at it and I remember that most of the time it was really that second half because guess what? His team still had the air to go. They still had the energy to go where others didn't. And when God calls us to account, when He tells us those things that He wants out of us, when He reminds us of what sin is, when He says, I want you to walk away from it, that's what we who are in the pulpit need to help encourage us that we'll be able to do those things, to live up to those things, and when we're not doing them, that we'll be called to account. I saw something happen in this NCAA tournament that really frustrated me. Some of you probably saw it. And then I heard the explanation, and I watched that ball player go out the next day, and he scored more points than anybody on his team. He was the greatest player on the team that day, and that was the day Michigan State's coach got all over that kid, even after they had just had an 8 or 10 point run. And he, I mean, it was, from a fan standpoint, I wanted to smack Izzo. I thought, how can you treat that kid that way? Why did he do it? Because he wanted that kid to be everything that that kid could be because he knew he had it in him, right? I didn't like his approach, and you may not either. You may not like my approach, but my approach is to get everything out of everybody who names Jesus as Savior and Lord to be the most godly person that you can possibly be. And if we're living in sin, we need to be called to that account. That's what moms did to us, wasn't it? We didn't call it sin. We called it just disobeying our parents, but wasn't it sin? It was not doing what they asked us to do, and mom called us to account. Many of you have heard me tell the story. The one, some of us are old enough we don't remember all of our whippings, right? Y'all can tell I didn't get many because down home they said you, you could tell how many a guy got by how tall he was. So I know that some of you in here got a lot more whippings than I did. But anyway, one I really remember, and you would think this was so silly today, but it was so true. Elvin Bird was a barber in town, and he moved over in a little building over across from us that had no electricity in it and set up his barbershop. And Mother told me and my brother, whatever you do, don't go over there and get your hair cut. Well, we decided that we knew more than Mother did, and we went over and got our hair cut. The problem was, not just disobeying her, is almost dark. And you can imagine what our haircuts looked like when we got home. Mom was really nice about it. She said, boys, you're going to take your bath. And she put us in, you all remember the tubs that we got in? And she had a little thing called a switch. Do you all remember that? And when she got me out of that tub, she used that switch between my little tender legs. Y'all know, have a clue what that feels like? I'm going to tell you something. Mom and Dad can tell you it hurts me worse than you. <laughs> if you've had one of them, you know that isn't the truth. But what she said to me was, Son, there are rules. If you obey the rule, you don't get the switch between your legs. But if you disobey the rule you get the switch between your legs. Now I want to remind you, don't go back and get your hair cut over there again. Well, it's been a few years, and I haven't been back yet. Because I feared, to a degree, the switch that I knew Mother would use on me. 
And folks, I'm going to be very honest with you. We ought to fear the switch of discipline that God is going to bring on us when we live outside of the bounds of what He's commanded us to live. We live in a day and age where we accept about anything and everything. But moms, you're here with a special call, more special than we as dads have, and I think we're pretty special too, to be very honest about it. But there's a bonding that you mothers have with your children that dads can never have. Someone said this the other day, said if you ever watch a baby in the womb, if a mother ever sees that baby in her womb, that she'll bond with that baby right then. A doctor that I pastored in Louisville told me, he said, I don't care how healthy or how we may look at a child that's born that may not be everything we think it ought to be. If you hand that child to that mother and she lays that baby on her chest, she will bond with that baby and it doesn't matter what, she'll do anything to see that baby live and to become whatever it can. That's the kind of God that we serve today. That's Jesus. He gave His life that we might be everything He wants us to be. So some of us have been honored by being parents. Some folks don't get to be parents, but yet they have such a gift with children that they have as much or more influence in the life of kids than many of us who are parents have. And it's to God be the glory you're as honorable, you're as important, or maybe more important than any mother or any dad in this place today because God has chosen to use you in a different way, but yet for you to honor Him through that way. So let's talk just a little bit about this second coming because we think about the second coming, what does that have to do with mother? Well, it ought to have everything in the world to do with mother because mothers ought to want to make sure that their children are trained from the beginning to the end to trust in Jesus. That someday all of us are going to meet the Lord, whether it be as a saved person or as a lost person, right? So as a mother, you want to take that child from birth and train them in the very things that God would have for them to do. You want them the very moment they reach the age of accountability to realize that it's time to turn their heart and life to Jesus. Amen? And then at that point, as much as anything else, as mothers, you want to train those children from that moment on to be the strongest person that they can possibly be in living out their life for Jesus. And then when we become grandparents, we realize how important it is that we pour the same kind of life into our grandchildren, right? And then after we become great-grandparents, we see how important those kids are as well. And what do we want? We want them to come to know Jesus at the very moment they come to understand they're lost. And we want them to serve Him every day of their life. Isn't it exciting to be saved? to be a part of God's forever family. Andrew's already read this scripture to us, and I'm not going to read it all back again, except as I go through the three points. But I hope we'll listen today and let God speak to our hearts and speak to our lives. You see, if you look at this whole chapter, and let me just share some things with you, it is a powerful chapter. In the first four verses, we see the destruction of the temple. And in verses 5 through 8, we see signs of the end of the age. In verses six or 9 through 13, 
we see that persecution is predicted. And then in the verses 14 through 23, we see the great tribulation. And after we get through those, we come to the passage now that we're looking at today. And we see the parable of the fig tree. Now this is a confusing parable to a lot of people, right? Let's read that scripture together, verses uh, 24 through 27. It says, At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And He will send out His angels to gather His chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth of heaven. So when Jesus comes back, the world is going to see Him. It's not going to be like His first birth where He came could I say incognito, I guess is a good word to say about it. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born in the stable. He grew up in a little town of Nazareth. He became a God-man, and he moved throughout that area and did all the things he did. But even up until his death, there were people who didn't believe in him. Think of his own little brother, James. What did he say? He came to know him after, he was, after Jesus' death, right? After his resurrection. So it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to have gone through a whole lot of things for us to be saved. If you look at, uh, at Revelation twenty-two twelve, the Bible talks about it. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. So he's coming one of these days, and I want us all to think about this. He's not going to look at you and me because of what somebody else did. He's going to look at us as what our own life has been. You see, it's easy for us to fall in with the crowd and do the things the crowd is doing. But I want to challenge you today to understand it doesn't matter what the crowd's doing. You always do the right thing. You always stand for the right things. You always give your heart and life to Him so He can totally use you for His honor and His glory. And if I've got this passage marked, if I can find it real quick, I'm going to go to Second Peter and, and read some verses there in Second Peter. Turn over there with me, if you will. It's not that far to get there. And, and this is a powerful passage in what Peter says to us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Listen what he says. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by ways of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord's Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, a walking according to their, to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens, of, uh, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for the fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come, what? To, the, to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come, listen to this, as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. He's coming again. And because He hasn't come yet doesn't mean He's not coming. It doesn't mean the truth isn't just as true as it was the day that He said it, the day it was penned, the day that we began to think about it, study about it, and think about it. The coming of Jesus is a truth that we need to recognize. And every one of us is going to see Him. And this is another thing that we need to realize. Every individual is going to bow and acknowledge Him as who He is, Jesus Christ the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 right? And then we see the second thing in this passage, the parable of the fig tree. I guess this is the one that's probably more, more concerns people than any other. What does this parable mean? Now let's read it together here, reading with verse 28. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, what things? Things he's talked about already in the passage. You can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself, only the Father knows. Now I want us to stop and think about this with me for just a minute. Number one is, He uses the tree and He uses the fig tree there. Uh, other places it talks about any tree. When the tree begins to bloom out there, when the buds come on, when you see those little leaves, you say, spring's here, it can't be far till summer, Right? All of us, how many of you watched for those trees to start greening out this spring? You know, did you remember making a remark? Look, the trees are springing, are, are beginning to come out. Things can't be too difficult. And, and so we get excited about it. And this is what he's saying. Now he says, this is what I want you to, two things I want us to leave you with real quick in this. One, he says, this generation will not pass away. A lot of people think he was talking to the 12 disciples and saying, you all will still be here when all this happens. What he's saying here, when you begin to see these things, the generation that sees this happening, they will not pass away. This will all take place in their lifetime. He didn't say when that generation was going to be here, but when that generation comes, this is what's going to happen. And then he said something else, and if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. He said something else that, that a lot of people are baffled by. I heard a preacher talking about it today who said people come to him and say, well, how could he be God and not know when, the, when he's coming back? If he knew everything, why didn't he know why he's coming back? You all remember why. Because he laid aside certain things when he left heaven, didn't he? He, he gave that up. Now, in this verse it says, however, no one knows. You might want to underline that. The day and or hour these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son Himself. Only the Father knows. Now you might want to underline that. So when you begin to think about His coming back, I don't know, you don't know, nobody knows when He's coming back. Can we all say amen to that? No one knows when He's coming back. It doesn't matter how many people predict it. It doesn't matter what kind of formula they come up to convince you that He's coming back on a certain day. Disregard it because no one knows. 
Now, he said here in this passage that he didn't know, right? Now, turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. They said to him, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, listen to what he says. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You notice he didn't say himself, did he? He said at this point, he's already died, he's already been raised, now he's back with his glory, right? He understands when it's going to happen. He said, you don't know. He didn't say, I don't know. He said, you don't know. Let me let you on a secret. Jesus knows exactly when he's coming back. He didn't reveal it because at that point in his history, he had identified with us and he had emptied himself to where he didn't dare even know because he was special. He was a son of God, born to a virgin who lived and died and was raised from the dead that you and I might have an eternity with Jesus. So let's go and read from Matthew chapter 3 and see what Jesus said there, Matthew chapter 3, and then we'll hurry on. Beginning with, or not Matthew chapter 3, sorry, Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 3. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 3, the latter part of that verse, this is what he says. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 3 through 14. He says, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquake in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains which with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures, endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then, then the end will come. Now I want you to notice something he said here that I, I like. The one who endures to the end will be saved. I think this is eternal security wrapped up in the perseverance of the saints. And that is simply this, and I want to leave this with you. you I, this is the way I understand it. When a person joins the church, they're not necessarily saved unless they have submitted themselves to Jesus and become a part of His forever family. People walk the aisle all the time or they go through the process of joining churches who've never been saved. Now, if you're saved, joining the church ought to be a big step in your life as a Christian. But just because somebody walks the aisle and goes through baptismal waters does not make them saved. Am I making it clear? And I think what Jesus is saying to them here is simply this. You will see those who have truly been a part of my family live for me and be what they ought to be. 
And that's what ought to be a part of our lives. And that's why you see me get so excited and talk so much about sin because I want us to say to the world out here that we belong to Jesus and you can see it in our walk, in our talk, in the way that we live. You see, folks, if we come in here on Sunday morning and we get excited, which we should, the singing this morning should have really excited everybody, I think. And I listened to them sing and it was been as simple if I'd have wanted to be lazy this morning, just got up and given the invitation. Amen? But the reality of it is, God has called me to do something. And He's called me to warn you. And sometimes when you warn people, they take it as you being mean. You being hard to get along with. You're fussy. Listen, folks, I don't want to be mean or fussy. But I'd rather you'd, you look at me and say, He's a fussy, mean, old, grouchy preacher than for you to look at, across that great divide when it's all over and say, why didn't that mean, grouchy preacher tell us the truth when he was in Sonora, Kentucky? It's not easy to get up here. Let me tell you, you think it's easy for people to dislike you if you're me? You think it's easy for me to know that people look at me like you go to hell? You think I, I enjoy that? You think any preacher enjoys that? When somebody gets mad at them and talks to them like they're a dog, leaves the impression in the community that he's a sorry rascal, you think we enjoy that? I'm going to let you on a secret, no. But I want to tell you something. If that's what it takes for me to be the godly man and the preacher God wants, bring it on. Because I want to please Him. He didn't send me here to please you all. He sent me here to preach. He sent me here because He needed me here at this time. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Sin is sin in 2019 like it was sin in 33 A.D. It hasn't changed and it won't change. And if you're living in sin, you need to repent, you need to get your act together, and you need to live for Jesus. It's as simple as that. And you can take that as being grouchy, you can take that as being whatever you want it to be. But that's the way it is. You all understand, I don't have the gift to sugarcoat stuff. I only know how to talk. I had a man tell me when I held a revival, he said, man, I love your preaching, but I couldn't belong to your church. I couldn't deal with that every Sunday. Well, y'all have endured it nine years, maybe another 10 or 15, you'll get used to it, okay? But I, 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 I pray God let me cry if I could cry my eyes out for you today, I'd do it. All I want out of this life is to see the church doing what God wants it to do. It's not buildings. It's not programs. It's a life. We're a, we're a church family. We walk out of here, the church is going here, there, and everywhere. This building will sit here. It's not the church. It's a building. It's all it is. But we're the church. And we ought to have such a love for each other that the world could see it bubbling out of us. Amen? That's what He wants out of us. But we can't be loving when we, can't, when we get frustrated with people, when we're unwilling to forgive people, when we're unwilling to look at what God did when He forgave us. Look at me. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm telling you, I'm not going to try to rival Paul in anything, but I could stand here today and tell you I'm the chief of sinners. 
because I know who I am. I know what I could be. I know what goes on in my mind. I understand who I am. And if it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, where would I be today? Wouldn't be standing here preaching. No telling where. The third point. No one knows the day or the hour. I already read you that 30-second verse. I just want to leave you with some thoughts on these verses. I said, no one knows in verse 32, only the Father knows. And in 33, he says, and since you don't know when that time will come, listen to these next two statements, be on guard, stay alert. We don't know when he's coming, do we? We know he's coming. We don't know when. 34, the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too, he says, must, underline these words, you must keep watch. Watch every day. I remember a story told when I pastored Muldrow. One of the, somebody told it to me about an old lady up in, in uh, Alaska got saved. And when I talk about old lady, she is up in her, well, I better not say the age because there's some in here may be in that age, so I'll just forget the age. She was an old lady, just let me leave it to this. And, and she didn't know anything about Jesus, but she learned something. To watch, he can come any time. And they said every morning when she got up out of her bed, the first thing she did was went, went and opened her door and looked out to see if Jesus was coming. Literally. Wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of thought that He's coming? What am I doing? What am I saying? What am I thinking? What am I involving myself in? Do I want Jesus to come back and catch me? Do I want Jesus to call me home in the middle of this? Watch and wait. Then He goes on and says, For you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn or daybreak, this is the four watches the Romans had, and so they understood what he was talking about here. Verse 36, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you, and a Andrew emphasized this a while ago, I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. You watching for him today? Would you want him to walk in on you today? I can't answer that for anybody but me. But would we? So we close. We thank God for everything that He's done. James said this in, in chapter 5, verse 7. He said, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce to, from, uh, of the soil. Be patient about it until it gets the early and, and late rains. The farmer waits, doesn't he? He puts it in the ground. And then Matthew closed it out and is Andrew and comes to lead us in our hymn of invitation. Let me just remind you what Matthew said there again in 22:42. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day he is coming. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and some of you have heard us talk about Spurgeon. Andrew does, talks about him occasionally, I do. This is one thing, as, as uh, I think I got this from MacArthur, I'm not sure. We should all agree on, we should, we, we should be expecting his return today. Amen? And Spurgeon said this, The hour of his appearing is not revealed, in order that we may always stand on tiptoe, expecting it when? To be when? Today. Heavenly Father, 
Oh, what a privilege it is to get to preach. Lord, please, only you can do a work. I know that my method, my excitement, the way I preach can be misunderstood, but it's love. God, please, move on the membership of this congregation who are saved and cause us to want more than anything else to serve you as we wait expectantly for your coming. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. You loved us so much that you sent Jesus to do all that he did that we might be a part of your forever family. If there's anybody here today who has never really turned their life, acknowledged their sin, and and reached out and said to you, I am lost, I am a sinner, I need salvation, and you say, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. And they acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. Let this be a hallelujah invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Stand, let's sing, and if God's spoken to your heart, in any way, shape, form, or fashion that you need to do something publicly, do it. If He's even spoke to you and you need to do it right there in the pew and take care of it, it'll change your life. Do it for Jesus, okay? Let's sing right now.